There's something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Extra. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal Extra, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. It's the beginning of 2022. We are a little bit late. This was to be expected, not due to the fact that, you know, the celebrations might have gone on a bit longer. It's just that the way that the new year started with dates and things, it made it very difficult for us to put something out on the first weekend of the year. So here we are, and uh, if I turn this fader up here, should be Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Very good. I'm here. New Year. Happy New Year to you. Did you have a good Christmas? And you? Yeah, it was, it was good. You were working, I know. It must be quite unusual because you've been out of, when I say out of work, you haven't been working for a... Uh, sometime because of your injury so what's it like being back at work again it's brilliant (laughs) i don't mind i like working i like my job well six months is a long time to have off and because of the injury i injured my wrist i couldn't do a lot of the things i enjoy or love like driving (laughs) moving about climbing which i enjoy i like to go to the climbing walls and going down the gym and keeping fit even like riding a bike, I couldn't do it. Everyone thinks, oh yeah, it's really cool to have six months off. It's all right for the first month or two, but then you stop going, ugh, there's only so many computer games I can play or sky maps <laughs> I can look at. Or <laughs> So yeah, it is good to be back. Back to normality and a bit of routine. Yeah, it's always good to get some kind of routine into things. I mean, Christmas completely mucked around with that for me because I'm forgetting what date it is and all that kind of stuff. I still don't know now. I haven't got a clue what the day is. (laughs) (laughs) I just know my missus is working at the minute next door, so she bless her, she's being quiet. And I'm on with you. That's all I know. (laughs) Yeah. When your Christmas and New Year fall on the weekend, it mucks things up a little bit because you get extended bank holidays, don't you? Yeah, and you get paid before Christmas. Well, I do. Yeah. So you get your January pay beforehand, and I'm like, no, I hate that. (laughs) I don't know what I've got left. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back... Uh, Ross is going to go over the Sky Guide for January with us, and we're going to talk about a couple of other things as well. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead, where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and space launch system rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the red planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. 
Rock Radio, America's space station. Its ongoing mission, explore new worlds of music. Tell the story of those who fly, build, and dream. Rock Radio from space. Streaming live from thirdrockradio.net. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. So welcome back to TGP Nominal Extra. We've been waiting a long time for a certain space-related thing to happen. Standing by for terminal count. At to the DDO, attention for the count final. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, unité, top. And we have engine start. Décollage. Décollage, liftoff from a tropical rainforest to the edge of time itself. James Webb begins a voyage back to the birth of the universe. The James Webb Space Telescope has finally gone into space. It's been 20-odd years in the making, and it's been delayed so many times. Even with the run-up to the actual launch, it was supposed to take off on the 18th, then it was the 22nd, then it was Christmas Eve, and I thought, they're not going to launch it on Christmas Day, are they? And they did. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, what a a Christmas present that was for people. (laughs) It is an amazing, amazing piece of kit. Well, hopefully it will be. I was going to say, don't as much as I want it to work. Imagine us sitting there going, "Oh, so this is going to happen." Uh oh, something's gone wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it will be. It'll be fantastic. As people have mentioned before, that it's the replacement for Hubble, which it isn't. And um, what I will say now is that if you go onto the TGP Nominal website and look on the menu, there is a dedicated page to James Webb Space Telescope, which will take you to different places so that you can learn about the Ariane rocket that it went up on, the spaceport that it was launched from, the agencies that are involved with the mission. It'll take you to a a page where you can find out what James Webb is doing at the moment and where it is and all the facts and stats and everything that goes along with it. You can make different things while you're there. And there's also an interview that John and I conducted with Dr. Eric Smith, who is the James Webb Space Telescope Program Director. And he said on there that Hubble is not being replaced by... James Webb. Obviously, Hubble has been up there for 30-odd years doing science, and, you know, it's not going to last forever. It wasn't supposed to be up there for 30 years. I think it was a maximum of 10, 15 years it was supposed to be up there, and it's just doing some amazing stuff. But Hubble works at a different frequency to James Webb, so you've got the whole spectrum of light. And at one end of the spectrum, you've got ultraviolet. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got infrared. Hubble works through the spectrum of the ultraviolet end. So it's light that we can see 
a lot of the things that we see is through the blue scale which takes you into ultraviolet which is why we have a lot of our technology runs with blue light as you know ross everything seems to be blue light and that's bad for astronomy because red is our friend definitely apparently green green's actually good as well but red is the colour that where the infrared is and that's what James Webb will be dealing with. So everybody in astronomy knows that if you need light to see what you're doing, you make sure it's a red light situation. I've learnt that through my time with UK Astronomy <laughs> and it's also helped me out because recently I've just acquired a new uh, clock radio and the screen on it is white. Oh, nice. <laughs> And even on the lowest, dimmest setting, it's quite bright. No, 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 no. I make my wife turn it off because I can't sleep with it on. But Christmas has been ideal for me because what do people have at Christmas? A lot of sweets and stuff. Now, a lot of these sweets, like your Quality Street and your Roses and those kind of things, they come in these little plastic see-through wrappers. Now, if you get one of the red ones and put it over the screen on your, on your clock radio, oh, it's so much better. <laughs> or your torch. You can use it for astronomy. Just stick a little filter over the top of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's so many different things. Or you, if you get the, uh, the red one and a blue one or a red one and a green one, you can make your own pair of 3D glasses, which is pretty cool <laughs> as well. You have to make sure it's pretty flat. No crinkles yeah, in it, as you can't see. Iron it out. But if you are going to iron it out, put a tea towel or something over it before you start ironing. Yeah, let's, let's, not, let's not teach people to put iron straight on plastic. <laughs> mums will kill them. Or dads, to be fair. <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you want to make it perfectly flat, put some kind of towel or something over the top of it, iron it. You've got a perfectly flat piece of polythene or something like that that you can use to make a filter, a light filter, which will be perfect for astronomy. So James Webb is now up there. It's halfway through. It's manoeuvring to get to L2 where it needs to be to, to get the perfect kind of light that it needs. It needs to be in that area because it needs to be very, very cool. And we're talking like minus probably 500 and something degrees centigrade, which is really cold. But you need to be that cold to pick up the heat sources from stars and other celestial bodies that we probably we probably wouldn't have seen before so say so it's going to take about 30 days to get there we're about day 11 as we speak and then when it gets there it needs to get down to these sub temperatures and that's going to take another six months so we're probably not gonna get anything back from it until well midsummer really it'll be ready in about june but you know you've got to run bench tests and all this kind of stuff so it's going to be middle of summer before we start getting some interesting results back who knows what we're going to find? Yeah. There be anything out there. And the other good thing is, is because it's manoeuvred in such a precise way, originally they thought that it was going to only be five years worth of research that would be able to get out of the James Webb. And now they're saying it's going to be 10 years plus. As I said, with Hubble, it was only supposed to be about 10, 15 years, and it's been up there for 30 years. So who knows what we're going to get from James Webb. Do you reckon they're going to leave Hubble there when it goes as like a remnant? Or do you reckon they they fire it back into the atmosphere? Hopefully they can find a way of bringing it back to Earth without it disintegrating and then maybe it'll end up in a, a museum somewhere. Just before Christmas, there was a meteor shower. It was the, the Geminids. 
and uh, you put it in the Sky Guide in December as your object of the month, I think, was the, the Naked Eye Objects of the Month. You did, yeah. And one of my mum's neighbours actually caught a fireball on their security camera, and there was a really good flash of green coming in on this footage and they sent it to me and I've put it in the TGP nominal YouTube channel so uh, people can have a look at it and I'll also put a link to that on the show notes as well so people can see it there I know you've seen it because I, I shared it in the group yeah it was brilliant really really good burn that wasn't it really nice yeah. and bright and I was so surprised that it was you know back in my hometown that this actually <laughs> happened <laughs> It was quite prominent for 2021, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really good. It was really cool. Especially as you know, we said they're out and they're up there at the moment. And then there you go. There goes a nice fireball straight through the sky. People's cameras are picking them up all over the place now. There's there's always someone chucking them in the uh, Facebook group now. They're like, oh, my ring door camera caught it. Or someone walked past and as they walked past, it set it off and just happened to be a meteor in the background. You're like, what? Brilliant. That's the thing. I mean, people are being very much security conscious now. So, as you say, ring doorbells, security cameras, dash cams, everywhere you go, somebody's got a camera. Because these kind of cameras are recording all the time, you're going to, at some point, pick something up, aren't you? Yeah, sooner or later. There's there's probably one every night, to be fair. I mean, there's sporadic, what they say, about maybe 10 to 20 every sort of hour or so or through the night and things so you know all you need is an, an a slightly larger bit and there you go gonna get a really nice green sort of fireball so i might have to take the ones off my van now <laughs> take them off the astronomy van and aim them upwards <laughs> don't break in i'm looking at meteors you're gonna have to install an astronomy cam yeah i'll put it on the roof <laughs> frank my wife will be thinking is that going on the front door no it's going on the roof what you know, in case you know a burglar gets in through the roof, it's going up there just to be safe. <laughs> it's virtually the beginning of the month. Ross, what have you got for us for January? Well, considering, like, you know, we've already had like a week go, there's still loads more to see. I mean, there was a meteor shower at the beginning of the month, but to be fair, no one really goes and looks at that one because <laughs> it's, it's, there's, it's in a constellation doesn't really exist anymore. It is quite prominent. You do get quite a lot, but again, it's early in the morning. But... You know, it's, it's the beginning of the month. Everybody's kind of hung over. <laughs> no one wants to go out in the middle of the morning. And they've, they've done enough of staying up late and celebrating. So that one kind of always gets kind of brushed over compared to the Perseids in August where it's nice and warm. And obviously the December ones before Christmas. So the Geminids is a really nice one. You know, it kind of gets you in that mood, doesn't it? Get a hot chocolate or an eggnog, go out before Christmas and watch them. So that was quite a good one. I think uh, Will Cheng from uh, Will Photography, he got some good pictures of it from what I saw. So they are out there and there's still a few sporadic ones about. So if you do have a look up, look around sort of like the boots area near Arcturus the Star and it's kind of up to the left there. There might be some flying around so you might be lucky. I'm just going to do a little introduction of like where the planets are and what's going on because they're all up. They can all be seen over the month but a couple are going to be a bit of a challenge because they are quite close to the sun. So we'll start with Venus and it does start the month low in the afternoon sky but towards late January it slowly sweeps up past the sun joining Mars which is starting to sort of creep up into the morning sky. It's getting higher and higher, so we should start to see more of Mars hopefully soon. Both are quite low, just before sunrise. They're rising at about 6.30pm in the sort of southeast. So pop out in the morning if you can, if you're up for work or anything now, because we're all back to work in <laughs> the new year. Have a cup of coffee and look out and see if you can find them. Mercury, that's also coming up. It's in the afternoon sky. 
and it's slowly heading towards Saturn. So it's kind of heading up and to the left towards Saturn. It does sit around about 5.15 p.m. So the ring planet then sets at 6 p.m. in the southwest. So you've got a little while there to pop out and see if you can see the two planets. Mercury will be quite difficult and it will get better, I think, as the month goes on. So don't worry if you don't see it straight away. Jupiter, again, is farther up to the left of Saturn. It's setting at around 8 p.m. So you have got a good few hours to spot that. And to be fair, you can't really miss it. It is really bright at the moment and looking really cool. Uranus and Neptune are still up for a while. They're up more in sort of like the night sky. They are a bit tricky to find. Neptune is around about 11 o'clock of where Jupiter is. So if you find it, it's sort of 11 o'clock it's up. And it's in between the constellations Pisces and Aquarius. But it's in an area of faint stars with no real sort of signpost for you to be able to like get to it. It's setting around about 9.30pm so your best bet is to get like an app out and have a look and see if you can star hop to it. It's still worth seeing if you can find it, the last planet. Uranus may be easier to find because it's higher up than Neptune at the moment. So it's kind of like just to the left of a small constellation known as Aries. It's easier to find than anything around Neptune because the constellations aren't really that bright there. So Aries is quite good to find. It's again in another area where there's not a lot there. It's quite faint and lots of stars, but nothing really to star hop from. So you might have to start from a star in Aries and star hop to the left until you find it. It sets at around 2.15am. So you've got a lot more time to spot it than Neptune, which sets at 9.30pm. So there are all the planets and what you can see. Now there are a couple of promising comets. Now I always say promising because comets are unpredictable. We never know if they're going to suddenly dim, they're going to break apart. But these two seem to have been going around the sun quite a while. So it's not one that's coming from the Oort cloud and suddenly disappear and break up as it gets near the sun. So we've got Comet C 2019 L3 Atlas. So we'll just call it Atlas <laughs> for now. It's going to appear at its brightest on the 10th of January. And it's going to be around about magnitude 9.7 which makes it a good target for comet hunters with even a small telescope or possibly 10 by 50 binoculars. It should be in that range, so should be able to spot it. The moon gets out of the way towards sort of end of the month, so that's the best time to have a hunt for it. So because the end of January is probably better, even though it's best on the 10th, the moon might be up and in the way. So I don't think it is too badly. Have a look so you can find it. Now this comet's going to reach its perihelion this month when it will be about 330 million miles from the sun. And it's going to kind of like skim through the constellation Gemini past one of its twins head, which is Castor. So it's going to go past sort of Castor's right arm on the 11th of January, then head towards its leg in February. Now, as Mark knows, it's quite hard to explain the precise location of a comet unless it's literally right next to a specific object in a specific night because they move constantly each night. They're in a different position. So the best thing to do is have a look at the notes that accompany this podcast. There will also be a guide on its location on sort of the given days we'll put there. So you can see every couple of days it will have a different position on there. So you can actually watch how it goes through the sky. So there'll be a guide on there for you. It's also be on our website, www.ukastronomy.org. If you want to have a look on there, there's more guides and stuff that might help you. So that's probably the easiest way to find the sort of trail of a comet is to actually look at a picture. So the other comet that I was talking about is 19 Borelli. It was discovered in 1904, so we've, we've known it for a while. It was visited by a probe called Deep Space One, apparently. So we've heard of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> it's a bit of Star Trek, I believe. But this is Deep Space One, and it discovered that it actually had a shape that resembled a chicken leg or a drumstick. So there's like a chicken leg flying through space. Luckily, it's not a real one. It's just a lump of rock, obviously. It might start smelling a bit. You've got a duck up there. You've got um, a snowman. You've got... A Death Star. Yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, we were talking about James Webb. So imagine that's us. What's it going to find? Could be anything. Yeah. 
got all sorts of stuff flying around up there. So it makes part of the fun. If they're all just bits of round rock, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? So this one, this drumstick, is approximately five miles wide, and it takes 6.9 years to make an orbit of the sun, and it loops inside the orbit of Mars, out then to the orbit of Jupiter and back again. So it kind of goes around Mars and Jupiter going back and forth. It came closest to Earth at around 175.5 million miles. That's quite far away, luckily. And that was on the 11th of December. So it's not its closest to us, but it is currently moving up through Cetus into Pisces and will be around about 8.9 magnitude, reaching its best on the 1st of February. Even though it was closer to Earth, it wasn't actually its brightest and at its best. So really, the end of the month, it'll be better for this comet, hopefully. Now, as you know, both these comets are great targets for astrophotographers. I've seen pictures of Atlas at the moment, the first one we talked about. It is currently sporting a short tail and it may get longer. So I look forward to seeing your pics if you're going to go out and try and have a picture of them. Right, on to the actual dates now. So what we're going to do is start on the 12th, because you've had loads to look at before. And this evening's moon is a uh, great time to spot the, well, me and, me and Mark know it quite well, the jeweled handle which oh, is yes. the Jura Mountains tips where they catch the sunlight kind of makes them shine out of the darkness they're sort of to the top left of the Mare Imbrium so we have spoken about this before so I'm not going to go into too much about it but when you go and have a look there even with binoculars you should just see this sort of like jeweled handle this sort of like oval shape sticking out shining from the blackness and it looks really cool on the 13th if you pop back to the moon again and tonight look around the same location where you looked at where the Jura Mountains were before, the lower section actually juts out into the Mare. It looks like a maiden sitting on the moon. She's got like wavy hair. I think more of kind of like the little mermaid for some reason. You know, she's sitting on the rocks <laughs> and the waves are splashing up. She kind of looks like that, doesn't she? Yeah. Really, a reflector's better because you need to flip it upside down because she is kind of upside down. So if you flip the image, if you take a picture using your phone or anything like that, it does look like a woman kind of sitting on the rocks with her hair flowing in the breeze. I think it's really cool. On the same night, the 13th, if you fancy a bit of minor planet hunting, 7 Iris reaches opposition. So Iris is a large asteroid orbiting between Mars and Jupiter in the main portion of the asteroid belt. And it's around about 124 miles in diameter, so it's quite big. And it actually makes it larger than 99% of the asteroids that are out there. And it's going to be at around 7.7 .7 magnitude, making it a great time to try and spot it. It is just going to be like a little white dot, but if you star hop, it's going to be located between the stars Pollux in Gemini and Procyon in Canis Minor. So that's in Gemini, up towards his knee, being just below it on the 1st of February. So it's going to be really close then. So that might be the best time to actually have a look and see if you can find it, but it does reach its best on uh, the 13th. We move on to the 14th, back to the planets again. You've got Mercury and Saturn. They're going to appear quite close in the evening sky, around about 30 minutes after the sun sets. So it sets at around 4.19pm. It's very precise, I did look that up. They'll be visible for you to spot for around about an hour and a half after the setting of the sun, towards the southwest-ish. If you have a telescope, of course, being careful not to look at the sun, because it's going to hurt your eyes. Uh, have a look and see if you can see Mercury. It's almost like a slender crescent. It's quite full, but not too bad. And, we see the phase because it's between us and the sun. So as they go round in orbit, you actually get to see the phases of the planets. So you might be able to make up Mercury's, it'd be quite cool to see. Now on the 22nd, there's a, a new feature that I read about that I haven't actually seen, and it's in the morning's bright moon. So the morning of the 22nd, you might be able to make out a large lava patch. And it's a mare called Oriental. It's located along the moon's left side, and it's the largest and best preserved example of a multi-ring basin. 
So any impact craters that are larger than around about 180 miles in diameter are actually known as basins. Now this one's about 580 miles wide, so it is a lot bigger than the 180 miles to make it a basin, so it's definitely a basin. And it looks a little bit like a bullseye, and sort of like a darts board, because it has rings around it. We don't really get to see that unfortunately, because it is on the very edge of the moon. So as the moon wobbles in orbit, it's going to tilt that side slightly towards us on this morning. So you should be able to see sort of the left hand side, this sort of darker patch, which is this lava sort of basin. So I've never seen that before, so I might have to go and have a peek. Now another cool thing to see is on the 26th, our moon is actually going to occult a double star. Now I've seen it occult one star, and I was very unlucky to not see it occult Saturn once because there was clouds just as it was starting to happen. I was like, no, I can see them both there, but then I didn't see it. So on this day, the 26th, around about 5.23 a.m., so it is early in the morning, but do check your time, because timings in your area may differ slightly depending on your location. So both the stars are actually visible with the naked eye, but binoculars will be great. It'll be a really good tool to see this with, because you'll see both the stars and you can see the moon starting to go towards them. The stars themselves are around about 77 light years away, and they're going to start to slip behind the moon's bright side around 5.23am with the next star following suit about 9 minutes later. But, as I said, it will still vary, so I'd say get out about 5 o'clock if not before and you can have a look up, see where the stars are, see where the moon is and actually watch them go behind the moon slowly. They will then reappear from the opposite side of the moon about 6.35am, so a little while after so you've got a bit of time to go in, warm up, have a cup of tea. So you can see a double star go behind the moon. I think that's pretty wicked. Constellation Canis Major, the greater dog, on the 27th. Doesn't really get that high in our UK skies, but this month is the best time to spot it. Constellation's best feature is the brightest star in our sky. You may have heard of it, Sirius, the dog star. It's a huge white star, and it's where the term, the dog days of summer, comes from. Because Sirius is actually behind the sun, seen from Earth in the Northern Hemisphere during summer. That's a little fun fact I found out. It's easily found by drawing a line down from Orion's belt. Apart from this, Canis Major also holds another slightly more hidden gem than Sirius the Bright Star, which is really, really visible. And that is M41. It's a really nice, bright, open star cluster. It's just below Sirius itself, and it can be seen with binoculars. But a scope will bring out like a whole bunch of blue and red orange stars. The cluster has a true diameter of about 25 light years across, so it's quite big if you think about it. It's about as big as the full moon in our skies, and it contains around 100 stars, including red giants and several white dwarfs, but we can only really resolve around 50 of these through our telescopes. So you can see the big bright Sirius star, then this cool cluster of all these other little stars there with it. So moving on to the 28th, and check out this morning's moon again, and you should be able to spot an awesome crater called Aristarchus. It's the biggest feature facing us on the moon at around 25 miles wide, it's located at the top left of the moon, and if you use a telescope, you may notice a few sort of valleys and fault lines around there, which is quite cool to see. It's a strangely bright crater, and they say that the solar wind hasn't actually had time yet to darken the sort of excavated area, or the material that's all been blown out from it yet. It's approximately 450 million years old. That's quite old for us as humans, but for the solar system, it's quite young. So the process of space weathering hasn't really happened, so it actually appears brighter than its surroundings, so it does look really bright on the moon, it's really cool to see. So have a look in the morning and see if you can find it. And now the 29th, last but not least, see 
if you can spot a nice morning Mars and Venus and a thin moon. It's around about an hour and 20 minutes before sunrise. Venus will be the brightest, of course, because, you know, the goddess of beauty. She shines really bright in the sky. Then you've got Mars just to its right. You have a thin crescent moon farther right from that. Pop a telescope on Venus and you'll see it has a very thin crescent phase at the moment as it's kind of going away from the sun, go back up into our morning skies. And that's all the dates for this month. like to chuck a few months objects out there for you to try and find so this month's naked eye object well it has to be the constellation of orion orion the hunter it's got so many awesome features within it and around it it's hard to miss in the uk skies it's huge and it's really cool to see so the first feature you're going to notice is of course its famous belt the three bright blue stars which astronomers often use to signpost their way to sirius if you follow it down and left drawing a line or up to aldebaran in taurus if you go up to the right so you draw a line through them and actually point you to other constellations people do that quite a lot now to the bottom right you have the bright star rigel and it's a blue white supergiant it's around about 870 light years from the sun so quite far away safe which is not safe but it's a star called safe or ceph or cephe as you like to call it i quite like ceph call it ceph s-a-i-p-h so the left of it with a more famous beetlejuice above it it's showtime on his left shoulder most people know this huge red supergiant that's said to be near the end of its life ready to explode in a supernova anytime now in the next million years it did start dimming but they said that now they reckon that was just a bit of expulsion that came out of it like a big sort of flare came out towards the earth and actually blocked the sun getting to us so it's not going to explode yet it's just a shame but you never know go out and have a look you might see it go one day next to that you've got bellatrix and that's the star on orion's other shoulder with myasa at its head there are all the cool stars and different colors you can see all around orion so pop out and have a look now why we're there at orion binocular objects usually we pick one i'm just going to pick orion because there are so many cool things that you can see of your binoculars and while you're there having a look you might as well look at them all rather than just one so as i said orion is such a cool constellation there's a few objects we can see and so it's going to be you know, probably about two three four there'll be loads more up there but i'm just going to say a few because i've done to confuse too many people so first of all of course you've got orion's belt and with binoculars you'll notice it's actually an oval shape of around about 50 stars not just the three most of them are sort of like bright blue and white because it's kind of like a star nursery around this area with the orion nebula below it this is where all nice new bright blue and white stars are being born if you go down a little bit from there you will see the actual nebula there'll be a faint smudge slightly down from the belt itself hanging below it it's where sword sort of hangs usually so you can see the nebula with binoculars if you pop up to orion's head the star i was talking about earlier myasa which is the head of him you'll see there's actually a kind of vertical mini orion's belt there so you've actually got two stars and then three little stars in between them going downwards you've got a mini orion's belt you can have a little peek at pop to beetlejuice because why not it's awesome it's huge it's bigger and red you'll notice the color is completely different and then if you go just above it up to sort of orion's elbow as mark knows 
my favorite thing, which is NGC 2169, and that's the number 37 is actually written in the stars. And I always love looking at that. I always love showing people it because it's mad that you just happen to have these stars in a certain shape that actually says number 37 there. Onto the telescope object of the month. And I know you're gonna expect me to say, well, seeing as we're at Orion this month, why not go and see the Great Orion Nebula? But I'm not, nope. Everyone goes there, everyone always looks at it, so let's try something different, and it's something I haven't seen yet. They say you can see it, and you should be able to see it. We're gonna go for a lesser known Messier object, M78, which is a reflection nebula, which is the brightest diffuse reflection nebula in the sky. Now, a reflection nebula, a sort of clouds of interstellar dust which reflect the light of nearby star or stars, depending what's around it. The energy from this star or stars is insufficient to ionize the gas of the nebula to create an emission nebula, but is enough to give sufficient scattering to make the dust actually visible. So you can actually see all the gas around it from the almost like starlight. It has an apparent magnitude of 8.3, so should be able to see it. The comets were sort of like nines, you could see them. So who knows, you might be able to get it with binoculars, but I do believe it's quite small, so a telescope's definitely best to zoom in a bit. It lies an approximate distance of about 1,600 light years from Earth. It's not gonna be easy to see, but it is on my list to put onto our guides. So we have a load of guides online on our website, and this one isn't on there. Considering it's an M, a Messier number, which means you should be able to see it, I haven't got it on the guide. So I'm gonna definitely go out and have a look at this because it's something that we seem to forget about or, you know, just don't look at. But it's in Orion, so forget the nebula and go for this one. I've just had a look at it, and uh, yeah, you can really see why they call it the reflection nebula. It's, it's almost like a, like a seascape. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It looks really cool. So I'm definitely going to have a little look and see what I can find on my telescope. Gives me something new to look at. But it's right there, isn't it? It's just to the left of Orion. Mm. And I never even knew. I've never seen it come up for some reason. So I saw it today and I was like, yeah, that's going on. You've got loads of things going on in that area anyway, because, I mean, you've got what they call the Orion Molecular Cloud Complex, yep. yeah. which you've got a load of NGCs there, plus M78, and yep. that is the brightest of that region yeah it definitely so. catches your attention that one so it takes it away doesn't it because <laughs> you have got the horse head there haven't you and you've got the flame nebula yep. and they're really dim so I, I don't think unless you're in a really dark sky you can see them but astrophotography brings them out really well which is funnily enough bringing me on to our sort of curveball which i kind of surprised you with because mark knows i'm all about hunting through the sky looking and searching and actually seeing the things with my own eye but I've realised that I never actually do like an astrophotography object of the month. And that's probably because I wouldn't know where to start because, you know, <laughs> I'm not really an astrophotographer. I do dabble a bit with, you know, a bit of smartphone and DSLR camera photography of the stars and things just for fun. So I'm really learning. I'm, I'm literally at like the a beginner of the beginners sort of level. But I thought, you know what? Why not just pop an object out there for you guys to see if you can capture it? And then you can teach or tell us how you did it rather than us telling you how to capture it, which I can't. Now, I thought, as soon as we're in this area we'd go for m43 and that's the marins nebula or the running man as i like to call it because it's easier to say now it is around where m42 is and actually it usually gets classed as part of m42 it's just take a picture of the orion nebula but this bit is actually separated from the main orion nebula gas stuff by an actual there's like a dark lane of dust and it's above it slightly so you've got the Orion Nebula, a dark lane of gas goes across it, and then M43 is just above it. And it's cool because it's kind of illuminated by a massive star, and it's illuminating and sculpting all its landscape of dust and gas, all its radiation and stuff. And in a picture, the dark gas that you can see there, 
you can actually make out the silhouette of man running. So he's got like one hand in front of him, one behind. It actually looks like he's running through the nebula, hence the name. So I haven't got a clue how to capture it. I know you're gonna have to do darks, flats, whites, all these things that people do, stack them all together, take loads and loads of pictures, but I'd like to see. And you know, I'm gonna throw it out there for fun, but I'm gonna try and do it every month now. Pick something that I've seen something of and go, let's see if we can get a picture of that, that would be cool. So that's January and I hope there's loads and loads for us to see, but there's loads of astronomy out there. It's still really dark, it's really cool. There's one thing I wanted to mention, because you were talking about the craters and that on mm. the moon earlier. I was looking at the photo gallery of the Juno project. Yep. They've got a picture that they took in 2012 and another one they took in 2021 of Ganymede. Mm. And you can see that there's a difference between the two photographs. It looks like something has crashed into Ganymede at some point cool. within those 10 years. Brilliant. They found that with Mars, didn't they? They were looking at an area. Mm. And then suddenly there was like this big little like crater and a load of ejected material. And they were like, where'd that come from? I do like looking at the Juno mission photography because the close-up stuff that they've got of Jupiter is unreal. It looks completely different as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's almost like looking at something that Van Gogh painted. <laughs> it's amazing to look at. It's just swirling around. If you ever look at something like Starry Night, which was one of his most famous paintings, mm. yeah, it's very similar in the way that the, the paint swirls around on, on the canvas, and Jupiter is very similar. And the quality of these photos, obviously they are in the, the whole scope of things quite close to the surface of Jupiter and its moons. So I think I'm going to include a link to the, the Juno mission research pages because uh, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to look at. Yeah, you can never get bored, can you? It's been right there up close to Jupiter and we've got all those fantastic pictures. Yeah. Normally... I ask you what's been going on with uh, UK astronomy uh, <laughs> over the last month. Um, obviously, there hasn't been a great deal going on, but what we did have was the UK astronomy anniversary prize draw. Yeah, I think it started in maybe September. HarperCollins, bless them, they sent us a load of books uh, all about space and stuff like that. And I was thinking, right, how can we give these to people? And then obviously my wife works in that sort of charity industry and she went, well, let's do a raffle. Let's, let's reach out to people and if they're willing to donate stuff and see how it goes. And whoa, it was awesome. <laughs> I was not expecting the sort of things we got. So like first like Optics donated like a, a Dobsonian telescope, a big one as well. Really nice one, their own maker. I think it's Lyra, isn't it? Yeah. Really cool telescope. Robber Valley Optics, they gave us uh, some vouchers so you can go into their store and actually buy whatever you wanted we got we got some astro gloves from funny enough astro gloves uh you donated a, a mars hot wheel rover wasn't it yeah perseverance rover so it's the the newest one i've got one myself uh, i'm trying to find a curiosity one but that is like um well i thought the other one was rare yeah that's even rarer because it's, it, it was in 2012 so <laughs> chances <laughs> of getting one now well very, very. and how did you, how did you say they come along you said that like you said they ordered a pallet didn't they of hot wheels cars yeah you get a you get a big packing case of about 500 vehicles in a box that's not marked personally by the way that's <laughs> that's retail <I> wish <laughs> uh, yeah and every 10 cases gets one of these Perseverance Hot Wheels uh, vehicle. And you have to 
go to various different stores to try and find one that has been opened at that time and I've luckily enough I've been to two different stores in two different parts of the country and <laughs> managed to find two so I kept one for myself of course. and I donated the other one to UK Astronomy for their prize draw yeah, which is really cool so it went into the, the kids bundle didn't it a load yeah. of books and although you know I think we'd all like to say it would like to have it <laughs> I thought the kids would really enjoy it uh, what else did we get? We got Will Photography. He donated a print, didn't he? Any print that someone wanted, they were going to get it printed for him and sent to them. Uh, Twice Brewed, the pub that he works at, does a whole stargazing thing there. They're awesome. You've got to check them out up in Northumberland, Dark Skies. They actually donated a stay over stargazing night. So you actually get to meet Will, go stargazing there with him and some people, and then also you get to stay over as well. So that was like the top prize. Aston Smith Solar System book, signed by Tim Peake. I can't remember what else. There's so many stuff. There's loads. I think you've pointed out the main prizes there. <laughs> Sorry if I have forgotten anyone. But yeah, the main contributors is all coming off the top of my head. And then uh, Janelle Blesser, the NASA Solar System Ambassador, she came to my house. We did a whole setup with a box that I had to stick stars on. Spent the whole evening cutting up all the raffle tickets. And she actually did the draw for us. So you can see the video on our events page if you really want to see that. I did in drum, drum rolls and <laughs> claps and, you know, cheering for fun. That was really cool. But we managed to raise like nearly, well, over £2,000. All towards the uh, inflatable planetarium that we're hoping to buy. And then also, on top of that, as well as people buying the raffle tickets for us, Asda, you know the green tokens they do in store? Yeah. We had that going as well. So people had to vote for us pretty much. I think it was every week for two months. So people did. And we, we won the top prize. We won £500 for that as well. So we're well on our way, considering we kind of started September time to actually start fundraising properly for this inflatable planetarium that we can take to any school, teach anyone anywhere with a hall, really. So if it's cloudy now, I can inflate it, take people inside it, and just show them the stars. So it's brilliant. We've now got £7,626 towards it already. Wow. Now it is around about 30 or 40 grand. <laughs> <laughs> so we have got a way to go. Is that just for the inflatable part of it, or is that for the projection? That's for everything. Well? Yeah, the the actual inflatable bit isn't isn't too bad. It's all the software and all the because you have to have a special lens for the special angle. That's the expensive part. So I think it's about three to five grand for the actual inflatable, and then the other gear is a lot of money. The thing for me is, if it's cloudy. At the moment, they really enjoy it, but it's just, it's another talk on what you can see, you know, like, like we talk about nebulas and galaxies, and I try and make it really good, but it's not the same as sitting somewhere and seeing it, is it? Yeah, because the good thing about these inflatable ones, it doesn't have to be outside, you can have it inside a building, if as long as it's space for it, of course. Yeah, and as we know, most schools have a hall, mm -hmm. so fingers crossed. I've actually been in one of these things because I went to one of these space up unconvention things and they had one there and uh, yeah I was pretty blown away by it it's funny it doesn't it sounds a little bit huh an inflatable one but it actually mm. works really well because all it does is pumps the air in there doesn't it and it kind of yeah. keeps a very slight pressure compared to the outside and as long as you know you don't lift it up and <laughs> although the escape procedure is to lift the whole thing up and over and get everyone to run out because we have looked into all the you know fire safety and stuff like that there's just nothing weird about inflatable structures because they use them in space anyway mm -hmm. because they actually make space modules you know the, the modules that go on the side of a space station and things like yeah. that inflatable ones and i know that sounds funny but when you get into that environment once it's blown up it goes rock hard yeah and you don't need a lot of pressure either do you no 
So you've got a, a makeshift extension to the space station if you need extra space. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a bouncy castle in space. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, why not? They've got a conservatory up there already. So <laughs> I haven't got one yet. They've got one in space, but I haven't got one. <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, thanks again for joining us on another episode of TGP Nominal Extra. Thanks for having me in the new year. It's uh, hopefully going to be an interesting year. Yeah, we said that last year. <laughs> yeah, we did. And we probably said it the year before yeah, as well. Probably. Look what happened there. One day we will be right. <laughs> We're hoping to have an episode of TGP Nominal the main show towards the end of the month all being well apparent on people's availability really as you know John and I have difficulty uh, getting our dates together but we're hoping to have our guests as well so I've got to juggle three balls at once instead of two which makes things a bit more complicated but hopefully we will have a guest coming in before the end of the month if not we'll carry it over into February so let's see how things go as always thanks for listening stay safe out there and we will speak to you all again soon but happy new year clear skies guys remember there's a billion worlds in your back garden well that about wraps it up for this episode of tgp nominal if you want to get in touch with us then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com where your input is our output or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com if you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts you can do so via itunes the rss feed and also stitcher and tune in on demand radio and you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. <laughs> This is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.